Hi, everyone. Back at you with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights, where we keep it unscripted, real, and interesting. Unscripted, Peter? I would say that's definitely true, but interesting. Why don't we let our listeners decide on that one? What we are here to do, folks, is share with you our thoughts and perspectives on the securities lending industry, whether that be about demand trends or just what's going on in the industry. And now over to our episode. Let's go. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of ESEC Lending Insights. This is the first episode of 2023. Happy New Year. And welcome my fellow co-hosts and especially Mike Brooks, because I think he's going to be on these more often, mainly to bring the average age down. So thank you, Mike. And welcome, everybody. Adding value where I can. I'd say he's adding to the intelligence and excitement factor, the fun factor of this podcast, Peter. That's the positive yeah, spin. Well, like, we'll have to see about that as we move ahead. But anyway, because I'm kicking it off, I want to ask Jim and Mike a very simple question. I want a headline for what's different this year from last year for our audience that's simple, digestible, and adds value to their day. As it relates to the business we're in, securities finance, not like a broader like life lesson or anything like that. <laughs> there were four trading days into 2023, so we got to dust off the crystal balls and say, this is what's new this year. I think this time last year, where we were looking from a macro standpoint, especially from an interest rate perspective, Jan 6th of last year, there was zero tightenings priced into 2023. Obviously, a lot of data came our way. Inflationary data, mostly supply chain disruptions, really showing that the Fed was behind the curve and that something has to give and that we have to get into a restrictive kind of monetary policy environment. So starting in March of last year, kind of unexpectedly, or I think the hawkish tone and the pace of tightenings caught a lot off surprise. We were obviously in hike, hike, hike mode with the majority of the hikes being outsized hikes. So 75 bips was really the main amount that they were tightening. So fast forward this year, you're starting to see inflationary pressures getting under control, still far too high and not nearly close enough to the Fed's 2% target. You're still seeing a strong labor market, but we're starting to talk about more of a terminal rate, a peak of a level that we're going to hang out for a while and possibly even getting back to a little bit more dovish and accommodative monetary policy stance. We're starting to see really some cuts priced into the Fed futures curve. So I think of a snapshot a year over year, kind of looking at the interest rate environment is by far, I think the biggest thing in our market, probably from no matter what product you're trading. And what does that mean from the two perspectives I would look to you for? One being cash spreads, right? Does that mean that that's going to be more meaningful kind of contributor to revenue with people who have guidelines? And what does it mean for, for treasury lending? Yeah, for sure. So I'll start even all the way back to 2021, where basically credit spreads and there was yield was pinned to zero. It was very hard for cash programs to really pick up any above the line spread. You really had to extend duration to really pick up anything on your break evens. Fast forward to you know last year, credit spreads widened for a couple of different reasons. We had some geopolitical reasons in the first and second quarter. Obviously, some of the Russia-Ukraine stuff really made dollar funding kind of in demand. So you're seeing issuers looking for cash and willing to pay up for it. And obviously the Fed back in play, and, you know, we knew the Fed dates and when interest rates were going to hike, but trying to figure out the magnitude of these hikes were really uncertain. So you saw a lot of investors not wanting to try to play the break-even game or try to play guessing what the Fed's going to do. So you saw a lot of cash is parked really short. So you saw some downward pressure on repo rates. But in order for issuers to get really any cash longer than really a month out or really Fed date to Fed date, you saw a supply demand, I think, in balance where you saw issuers have to 
really extend levels, widen out, cheapen levels to attract cash. So what you start seeing is financials, both fixed and then floating rate, really offer out some attractive yields there. And so cash investors who had ample cash to go and were comfortable with the risk profile really saw some opportunity to take advantage of some of these spreads. And I think we saw that for all of our cash programs, the year over year change, I was definitely one of the biggest growth factors for our business. And that's on the reinvest side. On the lending side, the amount of cash is still, still in the market, collateral short market. We still saw treasuries in, in strong demand throughout the entire year, both specials and GC collateral. Start with specials. I think 2021 was another muted year with rates pinned to zero and just large supplies of a lot of these on the run issues. It was a really muted environment last year as the short base was increasing. And also you're seeing some of these coupon sizes of the on the runs decrease. So you're going to see less of these more liquid on the run securities held at the Fed. What that does is just really decreases the liquidity profile for these bonds and makes less available for the street to borrow. So you're seeing the specials market you know, pick up in tandem. And I think 2023 is going to be another strong year in specials, especially as we get the corporate bond and investment grade calendar picking up, you see bigger issuance, which in tandem leads to strong borrow on the treasury side as well. So I think we're pretty bullish on the specials market this year. And on the GC front, we definitely see collateral still in demand. We saw that pretty much for three quarters of 2022. The fourth quarter, I think we saw a little less demand for borrowers to take on some GC collateral. And a lot of that had to do with some year-end dynamics. We spoke on some of the huddles before, really after we got to the RMA in October, the desks were really preparing us for maybe a bumpier road for year end. We went two years really where we had very minimal year end hiccups. Balance sheet was ample and large, and we could really add trades almost on our directive. We started seeing a lot of these acronyms around the market start getting back into play, the LCR, SLR, GSIB, and in tandem with just shrinking Fed balance sheets, meaning dealers balance sheets shrinking as well. And also in tandem with the Fed QT program, picking up and taking reserves out of the market. I think some borrowers are expecting a bumpier road for year end. What ended up happening last week was I think everybody got out in front of this and it was a pretty anticlimactic year end. There's still a ton of cash around the market and enough cash to meet any collateral kind of expansion or supply ads to the streets. So now we're in the first week of January and it feels like balance sheets have opened back up and we already have really a strong borrower bid really across a wide breadth of borrower base for GC collateral. So we've been very active already, both in specials and in GC for the first week of the year here. Comparing 22's year end to 21's year end then, even though you were worried about it being bumpier for this past year end that we just had, and it wasn't maybe because people prepared for it well, were balances those still a lot lower than they would have been for the prior year end? Like, was there still ultimately, did it play out that there was less balance sheet available and therefore you were able to maintain lower or GC balances weren't maintained as well as the prior year end? Yeah, I think overall utilizations across the lending market were probably a little lower not nearly as low as I probably would have told you in the beginning of Q4. But for our utilizations, we did a lot of that work in October and November. So I think our utilizations were probably spot on to where they were probably in 2020 and 2021. And was this year end, Jim, maybe a little bit different And part of the preparation for this and working with Mike's team, we did a lot more equity GC over this year end, but do you actually think that it was materially more than prior years this year end to somewhat counterbalance the reductions that we would have seen naturally on the treasury side? I'll answer that and Peter's question, but ask Mike a question first. Mike, and I'm kind of leading you on this one, just based on the revenue estimates that I've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. Can you give me an idea 
of yield, like just average yield for an aggressive reinvest on US dollar cash and a conservative reinvest on US dollar cash? What would you peg them at? Yeah, I would think aggressive would be pseudo 2A7 guidelines with maybe less liquidity buffers built in. I think this year when OBFR north of 25, somewhere in the low 30s range, I think is doable. And I think when you say conservative, I do think it's a repo only type product. I still think that's going to be sub OBFR. There's still a lot of cash in the market and really needs to be a lot of reversal there. QT really has to drain reserves for I think that dynamic to flip where you're getting paid above OBFR for a repo only guideline. But even on the conservative basis, meaning something that can go a little further down the credit curve, but still needs to build in high seven-day and in liquidity, I think there's still OBFR 10 to 15 bips there, where maybe in the past that wasn't always the case. Yeah. And so I think with that, I can answer Peter's question on what's new in 2023 and Brooke's question on what was the difference this year versus historical year-end for the equities? And what did we see? That variance between a plus 30 for an aggressive reinvest on the cash and an OBFR minus for treasury only is a pretty good sized cavern that didn't exist last year. And so what we're seeing and what we've seen, Brooke, is an increase in balances specifically for the cash portion of the book. And that's, I think we've talked about it in past podcasts over the last month or two. That's been the case. Higher, just nominal rates is more attractive to somebody setting a short against cash. And so we are seeing a disproportionate amount of opportunity to raise cash and grow market share for our clients in that space. But it would have to be somebody at that plus 25, 30 area, as opposed to somebody doing treasury only where that opportunity doesn't exist. So I think that will continue. Mike talked about how much cash is in the market. We are seeing just in these first four days of activity, really good pricing power and specials and balances at or near the last five-year highs. And so we also saw, we took a look this morning at average U.S. equity fee growing from 50 bips to 60 bips. So that kind of gives credence to the fact that we feel specials and pricing power is kind of moving our way. So it feels like risk is coming back in. It feels like non-cash is slightly on the back burner in terms of a priority for balance sheet management and clients here in the beginning of the year. And that cash opportunity is there based on our ability to access new balance and grow market share, either there's not a whole lot of plus 25, plus 30s out there, or others are kind of a little slow to take advantage of the opportunities. So what about though lenders that are non-cash only, accepting equities as collateral? So I'm not talking about like a totally conservative collateral profile, but how do you think that type of a lender is faring right now versus, because you'd made the comparison on dollar cash lenders that either have a low or a better yield. So I get that all, but like, yeah, talk to us about a non-cash only lender. Yep. So outside of the U.S., probably unaffected in terms of total balance and return to lendable for the non-cash lenders, because that dollar cash is really part of the liquid markets in the U.S., whether it's equities or corporate bonds. But so in the U.S. or somebody who takes both cash and non-cash, we've seen the balance flip. So it's not binary, all cash, all non-cash. It's just flipped from 60% non-cash to 40% non-cash. And so I would say somebody who takes non-cash only or takes non-cash and cash, they've seen their non-cash go down, cash go up. If you're non-cash only and you're in the US, you've probably seen your GC balances come down a little bit. Right. Okay. Interesting. And what's your headline then? You've had a really long time to come up with the initial response to Peter's question. You didn't really distill it, I guess. Maybe you did. It's the whole cavernous difference between the spreads and that wasn't the same, but. First four days feels like risk on. It feels like in the market on the cash side, the way U.S. equity market's been trading, the way Asia and Europe have been trading, it feels like there's plenty of disparity between views on where we're headed. And we like that. So be shorts and longs. 
Does that mean that it's going to be more broad-based short activity rather than crowded and very kind of concentrated? Is that what yeah. you want to see that before you can really feel this risk-on situation? Shockingly good question from Peter Basler. I like it. It does feel broad-based. Yeah, very much so. Um, and so it doesn't, there are sectors, the same ones that were in play last year that are driving revenue, but it doesn't seem to be a handful of names. It seems more broad-based. Yeah, I think that's a good sign. It is a small sample set. It's just one week and it was very quiet in December for us in terms of year end and the downside of year end or what you're fighting to avoid, which would be a cash crunch, people pulling balance sheet from us. It was a non-event for the equity side, but that's been the case the last couple of years, but it was quieter in December than I like, but we've had a few guys out on vacation on the equity desk, but even if we weren't still pretty busy, I think. And the special story sounds like you think it's going to be strong on the GC story. I know we've talked a lot about risk-weighted assets and how public pension funds are at like a 20% risk weight, mutual funds at 100%. Are we going to see more haves and have-nots in the GC space this year, given that disparity of risk weights? Yeah. There's no silver bullet to fix that RWA issue for either agent lenders or the brokers that we face off with. So we'll continue to work with brokers on a one-on-one basis in terms of solutions. Yeah, I think there will be the haves and the have-nots. And it historically had been collateral that created that disparity between who takes advantage and who doesn't. Now you have to mix in who you are and where you're domiciled and what RWA constraints brokers have facing an entity. I wish there were one easy solution, but there probably won't ever be. It's going to be so many different ways to achieve what you need to achieve. We've seen it vary probably five, six different types of solutions to RWA for brokers, and we're trying to accommodate as many as we can. Well, I'll answer my own question on the headline piece because you guys haven't asked me, but I'm going to answer it anyway. And for me, oh, wait, did point. you want us to ask you a question? Peter? No, no, it's okay. okay. We've gotten past that now. So All my right. answer is going to be indemnification and disruption this year because many agents are changing behavior, going to clients because the indemnification hit now on capital issues is I think really starting to hurt people. And we're seeing people actually change behavior. I'm hearing from prospects and clients that capital constraints are a headline in their conversations with their clients. I think this is gonna be a big year to see some shifts in our space on how agents are handling this and what's the downstream impact on client business. So. I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to watch for us in these podcasts uh, as we move throughout the year. I agree with you, Peter. I want to plug two things. One is that there's a conference upcoming in the U.S. in New Orleans in a few weeks' time, the IMN Conference for Beneficial Owners. And there is a panel. I'm participating on it on the indemnification topic. And a lot of large beneficial owners are also joining that conversation as are some other agent lenders and such. So I think that'll be pretty interesting just to sort of talk amongst that group on the topic. But there's also the other plug I want to make is in the land of podcasts and for our two listeners that follow us regularly, you're probably already following other podcasts, I would imagine. But if you're not, check out the GPFA's Global Peer Financing Association's podcast series. They put out in mid-December timeframe, I think. It's called Peer Connections, if you're searching for it. There's a really interesting conversation that Matt Brunette from Norgas Bank Investment Management and Mark Faulkner from Credit Benchmark had exactly on this topic and some of the real world changes that are occurring amongst agent lenders and what their predictions were. I think they agreed on a lot of things. I think they also had differing views on certain things. So it was an interesting conversation. I think it's an absolute awesome podcast to listen to. And I would maybe put that in the podcast notes here, Brooke, a link to that as well as maybe even Mark Faulkner's paper. Something yes, there's a paper. Two good resources for our listeners. 
Definitely. We'll do that. I'll get right on that, Peter. Why don't I do that for you? That'd be great. Okay. And by the way, I also want to put a plug in for Jim Maroney. So as people on this podcast really? often give me trouble about is that I create work for other people and it is true and it is fair, but it's all in the spirit of growing our business and franchise and doing what's right for prospects and clients. But I will say that Jim Maroney during this podcast actually responded with an analysis he owed me on a timely basis. So I really appreciate that. I was able to finish it while you were speaking, Peter, because I just zone out. <laughs> Despite the insult you gave me for asking a good question, which was surprising to you, which was, that hurt. Uh, well, I'd like to know, so we're still in a somewhat comfortable buffered zone around the holidays where some people still will have a Christmas tree up at this point in time of January. But Peter Basler has a Christmas tree up behind him. And I'd like to make a prediction, maybe an over-under on future podcasts and whether we're still going to see that same Christmas tree behind him in the weeks to come. I think it should go away this weekend, Peter. That would be my rule of thumb. It's just a lot of work. You know, I live in an apartment building and schlepping a Christmas tree through the hallways on the elevator. I don't really have a natural place to put it. It's just, I don't know. But what's Not, the other solution? Just like leave it there for the duration? I think it's festive. I think it looks nice. It's a holiday tree, Brooke. It's not a Christmas tree. Exactly. It all year round. Exactly. All right. I'm still celebrating. I'm okay. celebrating New Year's. Are you guys saying Happy New Year to people? And how long do you do that? I'm over that, it. That I'm done. It. I'm officially. We talked about this this time last year, and you were an outlier and saying it way too long, but I'm, I'm done. Balance of today and then next week, not appropriate. I even today said to someone, not Happy New Year purposely, I said, happy January. I hope you're having a great January so far, or, you know, happy 2023. Okay. All right. Well, if our listeners have any views on any of these topics, please do share them with us. We do like feedback. All right. I think with that, we're going to say that we're out of time or our listeners are out of patience, either one. Hold on. Can we go back to one thing? I wanted to ask one question. What are you most looking forward to this year in the spirit of you're still on your happy new year kick? What are you most looking forward to in your professional world? I'm hoping for more podcasts and I'm looking for Wow, to really? Okay. Yes. I'm fully immersed in podcast world these days. But can I now have this and play it back to you when you sort of put me off and tell me that you don't want a podcast? Hold me to it. Okay. Got it. Done. Mike, anything? I'm going to look forward to more treasuries to lend and cash to invest. That's on Basler, I guess. <laughs> and, I, and I'm going to look forward to more people paying attention to a product where there's too much apathy this year because many of things are changing and people really need to pay attention. So All right. looking forward I love to it. more engagement. All right. Okay. Well, thank you, friends. All right. Enjoy the rest of your January, all. We'll be back in touch soon. Bye, all. See you guys. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope we left you with something interesting and productive to utilize in your daily securities lending activities. And friends, don't forget to subscribe to ESEC Lending Insights wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal tax or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based upon such information. Thank you for listening.